Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to episode three of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis Dahl from Summer Dental Laboratories in Zionsville, Indiana. Hi, I'm Barbara Wojan from Night Dental Group, Oldsmar, Florida. It's a roundtable episode where we're going to gather a group of people. We're going to sit down and pick a topic. Today's topic is going to be hiring and training. It's an interesting topic, and I think you're really going to enjoy this. When we originally did the recording, it was my first time, and I butchered everybody's introduction. So let me take a moment here and kind of introduce everybody. Martha Martin, CEO of Triad Dental Studios in North Carolina. Jeff Strunk, co-owner of Treasure Dental Studio in Utah. Heather Voss, CDT, owner of Legacy Dental Arts in New York. Steve Killian, CDT, president of Killian Dental Lab in California. We all get a good laugh because we actually tried to meet up and record a couple days before this recording. And because of Steve's inability to connect with us, we had to put it off and try it again. And yet he still had trouble connecting with us. But we all had a lot of fun. So he jumps in about halfway through the recording and adds some very insightful input. And of course, there's myself and Barbara. There's some really good content within this roundtable, and I think it's very useful and is really worth hearing. So we're going to cut right to the chase and go right into the roundtable. I can't wait to do this episode. We talk a lot about how to hire, how many employees, how many CDTs. So let's jump right in with our roundtable. Here we go. King Arthur had his knights. Captain America has his Avengers. And dentists have their laboratories. These unique individuals have gathered together to entertain and enlighten all who dare to sit down at the round table and listen to the voices from the bench. All right, we welcome you to the very first round table for the podcast Voices from the Bench. I have here a great group of people. Uh, the first up, we have Martha Martin. Hello, how are you? I'm great. You are the CEO of Cryo Dental Studio in Greensboro, North Carolina. North Carolina. Welcome. Welcome to the roundtable. Thank you. Jeff Strong. How are you, sir? I am well. Thank you very much. And where are you from? We uh, reside in Salt Lake City. Treasure Dental Studio, correct? Yes, sir. Excellent. We have uh, Heather Voss, CDT. How are you, Heather? I'm excellent, Elvis. Thanks for asking. Absolutely. And where are you at? I'm in sunny but cold Buffalo, New York. Buffalo, New York <laughs> at Legacy Dental Arts. Yes, sir. And then, of course, we have Barbara. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. President of Night Dental Group. You know, I noticed looking at all of us, we have two studios, a group, and an arts. Is anybody a laboratory? Interesting. We're all high up in our uh, in our businesses, and we do a lot of hiring. And I'm curious to find out exactly how some of you go about finding employees. That's been a challenging part. Are you speaking in the technical range or just in general? All over, all over. Let's start technical. How do you find technical people in our field? I usually stand outside in the parking lot of Night Dental Group. <laughs> and uh, oh. <laughs> that's after I've already stopped off at Triad. Um, exactly. <laughs> 
No, we um, we are fortunate as far as uh, the ability to have a, a dental technology school that's just down the road, about 15 miles from us. Um, we've hired quite a few students from there over the last year and a half, uh, four to be exact. That's been our mainstay. And, and fortunately or unfortunately, we also have had uh, labs that have uh, closed or minimized the amount of employees that they have. So it's opened opportunities in that regard in our area. So this, as far as the technical. The students that you hire, are they RGs when they graduate? No, they're not. This is an unaccredited school. It's a nine-month program. Um, so they really don't come out with any kind of credentialing at all. The one thing we truly do grab from that is the fact that they do have a desire to be in this industry. They have a basic theory, but we do need to take them and, uh, and mold them along the way. But at least they know what a buckle is when they walk in the door, which is helpful. And which is better than what I did when I first got here. I hear you. What about you, Martha? Where do you find your technical employees? A lot of times it's word of mouth. Um, on our website, we always have our current positions that are open. I have advertised on LinkedIn. Um, I've advertised or actually made it public on Facebook. So social media. Also, Indeed. I found a couple of technicians through Indeed last year, which I was really surprised, but that worked well for me. This is Barb. Um, we're, we're, we're doing Indeed as well right now, and it's worked out well for us, finally. Yeah, and it's very inexpensive, too, but it did work out, and I have found that even though I advertised it for our area, people from all over the country ended up answering or responding to it. So as, I've been very pleased with that. As far as graduates from, we have Durham Technical Community College here in North Carolina, which does have an accredited program. Once you graduate from there, once you take the test, you are a graduate, an RG, which I love getting employees like that as well. So it's just a hodgepodge of different things, but finding good technicians is hard. Yeah. Um, also, as Jeff mentioned, labs that are closing, finding that more and more. So many of the resumes I get or applications are from a smaller lab that is having to shut its doors. And it feels bad for me, for them. But on the other hand, I'm glad to be getting some seasoned technicians. Have you ever hired somebody that was their one person lab to bring them into a production setting? Have you ever had that work out? We have, yes. Yes. And it typically works out whatever they have specialized in at their lab, like what they were the most proficient in. Usually it's ceramics. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's been removables, but typically it's been ceramics, like someone layering porcelain. Where do you find your people, Barb? Um, I'll be honest with you. I have definitely been asking some of the better employees, you know, some of the more engaged employees, I should say, if they have any friends or people that they would recommend I was using an agency, but when you go through an agency, you get kind of BC players. And I noticed that it wasn't the cream of the crop um, with, no, you know, no disrespect to people as a whole. But I need smarter people, more technical people, people that can use their hands. And I found that uh, word of mouth and asking my employees who I really think are doing a good job to refer their friends that have come in and I interview. And um, I personally have been training all of our new newer ceramists. And that's been the only thing that I we have done Indeed. And we got a couple people off Indeed and then word of mouth. 
Has anyone ever spent the money and done like Monster? I've used it a few times, and I find that the return on Monster is next to nothing. Yeah, we used it in one occasion, and we didn't get anything from there that we didn't get off of off of Indeed. And so we've, what we've honestly have done with Indeed is not necessarily post. Uh, we have posted ads on there, but we literally uh, look for uh, technicians posting resumes and if they fit the bill then we'll approach them without even posting an ad that way you're not getting a ton of people rolling in the door that you have to go through a interviewing process with yeah because of indeed being so inexpensive you get a lot of resumes when you post the job on there a lot that's true has anyone ever found someone out of their area and brought them in like relocated them Yes, I have a young lady starting the 1st of April coming from New York, and I had um, a technician as well from New York last year who came to us, who is with us now, so definitely. How do you handle a relocation? Um, Do you pay expense? I pay some expense, and there is, I meant to pull this, but there's a guideline online that you can look up as far as what the IRS determines is legitimate reimbursement expenses, and I just go by that guideline. But I'll set a limit to it. You know, it might be, depending on where they're coming from, it may be $500, it may be $1,000, $1,500, $2,000. I probably would not go over $2,000. It would have to be a huge move to do that. But it does give them some help with their moving expenses. So have you brought those people in to uh, give them a working interview? Yes. Interesting. How long were they with you for? One person was with us a month. Wow. Seriously? What what does a month look like? So do you put them to work for a month or how do you do that, Martha? His name Uh, is Matt. It's a a skill test, you know, to see what they really can do. And if they're a good fit for our laboratory, obviously we're, you know, Adamus Labs, and there's a lot of different things that we require our technicians to be able to do that they may not be used to in another lab. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to relocate someone, then come in and be confronted with some of these things that they're now required to do and then hate it. That's a lose-lose situation. It's got to be a good fit for us as well as them. You know, a lot of the smaller labs never have barcoded anything you know they don't understand about remakes and reworks and how we keep up with that or production sure we've brought in a few employees that own their own lab and we find it difficult to get them up to speed to be as productive as we need them to be because they're used to such smaller numbers i guess for us production definitely plays a part you know we have to look at what they do or what they're capable of producing as far as numbers each day wow so we don't bring everybody in for a month. Some day, some people, it may be a day, it may be a couple of days. It just depends on what position we're interviewing for. But if it's someone who is a seasoned technician, we need to see their work and what they're capable of doing. Well, of course, because you're usually bringing them in at a higher rate. I'll say, Elvis, we did something pretty similar to what Martha did when I was with Bonadent. Anyone that was pretty much being considered for a supervisor or a manager position was typically a three-day interview, working interview. Um, we would pay all expenses for them and usually their significant other to come tour the area, see the laboratory. There'd be production requirements every single day they were there based on what they were, uh, their expertise was. We would also, um, you know, kind of wine and dine them. 
get them to be able to spend as much time with as many different managers or as many different people in the organization that they would interact with so that we got multiple opinions on what their fit would be and then and then go from there. And sometimes if we were kind of on the fence, we would then bring them back for a second weekend interview as well. And where was this lab located? This is in uh, the middle of New York State in the Finger Lakes. Oh, I don't know what the Finger Lakes is. I'll have to Google that. Seneca Falls, bonded in. <laughs> So what about the entry-level employees? Um, I live pretty lucky where I am. We have two different technical schools, one at the high school level in a vocational program, which is a two-year program. And then we also have a two-year accredited program at Erie Community College. And they have, you know, their success rate of hiring some of them there is pretty pretty erratic. But I find what we get the most success in is actually finding art students. Um, and we have a couple local art colleges because they tend to have a much better eye-to-hand um, connection. They're able to see shapes because it's easy for me to teach someone morphology, you know, terminology. I can teach them all of the science, but to have someone who can really use their hands and be able to create is a lot harder. I do agree with you, Heather. That's uh, the person that I, the young lady that I just hired yesterday uh, was an art major And when I came in and interviewed with her, I brought her back to the lab, put her at the bench and showed her how to put porcelain on and and layer a little bit. And she was like, yeah, this is just like, you know, this is just like what I used to do in art school. And she totally connected with it. And I could see her and I can see the lights going off. So, yeah, I would agree that that's a great student to hire. We don't have any schools around here. Yeah, they're a great student to hire or a great person to hire. But in the same token, you also have to be able to test their cognitive Mm -hmm. um, abilities. And I gave pretty much everyone some kind of math test before I hired them. Because you can be really super, super creative and artistic and capable with your hands. But if you can't read, if you can't follow directions, if you can't be logical and kind of, um, you know, very disciplined, it doesn't, it won't do you any good. So what kind of math tests? Are we talking like cosines? uh, (laughs) Basic. No, there's tons of, there's tons that you can find online based on, you know, what your, you know, what level of position that you're, you're testing for. If it's a entry level technician, it's going to be pretty simple uh, math test. If it's um, someone who's in management, it's going to be definitely personality testing. The larger the organization, I think you really got to understand who that player is and how they fit into the dynamic and culture. We actually um, use um, Glidewell's math test when we went to visit Glidewell out there. He showed us the math test that he uses, um, and he gave us a copy of that, and that's the math test. And they have to do it in um, two minutes. Um, you give them two minutes to do as many problems as they can solve, um, and then the ones that they get right, you know, you just do the ratio of how many they got right, and that's how the well they did. So it's, it definitely works. We use that as well. Have you ever taken it yourself? No. <laughs> they don't want me doing a math test, Elvis. <laughs> Barbara, we've been using that math test for years and years, and it is so valuable in which uh, it's more than a math test. It's, oh, yeah. it's really a personality test as well. You get to watch them with their handwriting. You get to see them under pressure, and it really is stressful to do a little two-minute time math test. And, uh, and, 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 and everybody in the lab should take it, so you have a base. When you before you administered it to the first person that you ever interview using it, yep. it's incredible. I, you know, and, and you'll see people will skip ahead to other questions. That's creative. That tells something about them. That's a good thing. 
Uh, and, you know, and you'll see some people go too fast and they make a lot of mistakes. Others go slow and make few mistakes. And you learn a lot about a person. It's, it's, I don't interview without that math test, the two-minute timeout test. It's incredibly valuable. But we also use uh, other aptitude testing. But that is kind of my personal test that I really put a lot of value in. Yep. Does anybody Agreed. do the physical test where you have to climb the rope to the ceiling or <laughs> crawl? Under I take them for a run, Elvis. <laughs> there you go. There you go. No, but one of one of the things that we really look at also, honestly, and it was brought up is the chemistry, um, the way we work within our laboratory, within our walls. Uh, there's a lot of interaction amongst employees. And so you've got you got to get someone that's going to be a fit. Um, that's a team player. Uh, that uh, puts the product above themselves. Um, it's one of the neat things that we've had within our lab is the fact that we've had people with us for, you know, 20 plus years of our 24 years in existence that um, aren't afraid to uh, show people how they do things and uh, and be able to train them. And, and with that culture, I think everybody tends to want to help one another a little bit more. And, and uh, so we also work at cross-training a lot of the new employees as well. So how do you guys go about training the entry-level employees to do the technical work? Do you guys train in lab or do you send them out? Do you use training videos? We will we will train in lab. The first the first position typically anybody will have will be in the model department uh, that they will have the uh, greatest amount of scrutiny in there. And one of the things that we've always uh, put forth to every single employee is the, the job you do today is the interview for your job tomorrow. And so we want to make sure that they're proficient at certain things. And honestly, you know, they need to know model work above and beyond anything else. If they understand bytes, occlusion, uh, that really does uh, help them in any other endeavor that they take on. I just want to say as far as entry-level trainees, I have not hired someone entry-level in years. Really? Everyone that we've hired has had some type of background other than a pickup and delivery driver, which of course they know how to drive a vehicle. But as far as lab technicians, they are either a registered graduate or have had several years experience in a lab, some type of experience. I have hired some for our customer care team that have previously been dental assistants. But as far as what I would consider Really entry level? No. Wow. Have not hired. I wish I had that non off. I genuinely <laughs> feel like that's a luxury, Martha. I think that's great. You know, in our as large as our lab's getting, um, we hire for entry level for model, and we hire entry level for pretty much um, you know our um, CAD department scanning everything. And what we do now is um, we have them do a boot camp, so they go with Lonnie oh. and they learn all the terms. Um, you know, all of the. Um, vocabulary, they look at models, they take a look at teeth and the features. And so we have them do that for a week and then we put them out in the environment. And just like what Jeff said, where, you know, you kind of do a personality test where, where might they fit? What environment will they fit in? You know, there's different, you know, different personalities to each of the environments in our laboratory. And so we kind of get a sense of where they'll fit. Um, and then they sit in there, you know, they get to meet the supervisor and they get to meet the team and, you know, so you, you give them a couple days in each department and then we decide where they best fit. And um, that works out pretty well for us. I, I feel a little differently in regards to hiring somebody straight into the CAD department. We've done that and he's still with us, but it's been, it's honestly has been a challenge in the fact that they still need to understand bites and occlusion. 
And especially if they're in a position where they're having to break models off and rearticulate yeah. after the fact, they need to understand exactly what they're doing. So to me, before, if I were ever to hire again in that realm, I would make sure that the person has worked in, in the model department first before they move into CAD. I totally agree, Jeff. And that's what we do here at the lab. We start in the model department. You know, years ago, uh, Martha, everybody we hired here was, you know, experienced and had some sort of pedigree when they came in. And But as of late, in the last few years, we hired people off the street that have talent, shown talent, enthusiasm, fit in with our group, and they start in the model and die department get the basics, and then we move them into digital. And it's worked out incredibly well. But I agree 100% with you, Jeff, on that. Yeah, they need to know something before they, they can start in digital. Does anybody find hiring people with clinical background helpful? I think somewhat, yes, because at least, like I say, they know teeth. They know the tooth numbers, just like if it's a dental assistant. Yeah, because I get a lot of those applicants, people that are mm-hmm. past assistants or an assisting school. We got a few of those around here. Well, and they can help in customer care too. Absolutely, that would be a great position. I've got an assistant. I've got an RDA uh, applying for a job as we speak, and she uh, has done it for two years and says she doesn't like working with patients. Right. (laughs) But she's a people person at the same time. She doesn't like working in the mouth, is what it it comes down to. And she, uh, this, this, (laughs) (laughs) she's. She's, uh, she likes, so my question to her was, well, what do you like most about assisting? She says, making temporaries. And I said, right answer. I said, you're, you're, (laughs) we want, we want you. So anyway, we're interviewing right now. She's gone through, uh, all of our testing and, and a full day, uh, practical, uh, interview, which is that they get to work in the lab. They get to work in the model die department. They get to meet the people and do a little over the shoulder training. It's their, it's their first unofficial day of, of employment. And, uh, we actually pay them for that day. And, uh, and it's, you know, there's no commitment, but at the end of the day, we, we make a decision to go for either a probationary two weeks and we'll tell them that as well, in which case, you know, we get them here as much as they can. If they've got a full-time job, that's kind of tough to do a probationary two weeks, but, uh, we try to do that. If they can't, then, you know, we say, then we hire them, we hire them, you know, commit to a full hire instead of a probationary hire. Anyway. Has anybody ever got employees from some of the bigger uh, DSOs like Aspen or Affordable Dentures? I have one on the way. <laughs> so you don't know yet if they'll be good. I do not know. I have one right now that we we picked up from Affordable. Um, he uh, he he was used to doing about you know ten full dentures a day. He was running as fast as he possibly could. On a daily basis, he really enjoyed the slowdown. Uh, we're still working on. The quality aspect of the work, trying to refine that some. He's it's been a little while. He's been with us a little over a year, so I think we're finally getting him on the right path. But um, as far as removable goes, you know, obviously it's it's a challenge out there trying to find any kind of a seasoned technician, and uh, and so we've been looking for a couple here and there to also work with uh, relatively new technicians as a more of an apprenticeship, if you will to get them up to speed. Jeff, let me ask you, because I thought you had a, a full uh, removable department and it was just going gangbusters, but is it growing so fast? You yeah. need more people? We are. We've, we've got, we've got um, five full-time. We've got a part-timer in there as well from time to time. But uh, yeah, we've, I mean, three years ago, we basically started with one person in there and it's grown exponentially, but it, you, you kind of have to, uh, you kind of had to put the brakes on a little bit. 
the we've had we've got three seasoned uh, we've got a lead and then uh, two others that are under his under his uh, uh, watch that have had years of experience but not years of true quality experience and also with a lot of the application of removables going towards implants uh, they didn't have much knowledge in that regard so it's kind of a learning curve for them as well and then we also have um, somebody from the Tannel Technology School that did not teach removable, but we have sent to courses to get him up to speed to do removable. And he's not, I don't even think he's 21 and he's been wow. with us a year and a half. And uh, he's, he's doing remarkable. He's, he's been posting on Facebook. His work has come along very, very nicely. So that's kind of our hope is to let those guys have a place to retire, keep them they, and they'll have enough work to keep them busy until then. But at the same time, increase their skills and also, uh, be uh, mentors to up and coming uh, technicians that we'll be bringing on. But otherwise, uh, your newest people in the removable—it's like uh, all the rest of us. It's it's hard to find them. It's next to impossible right now. Yeah, yeah, we have the we have the same problem. Well, I mean, if you go back, I mean, I, I've talked about this in the past. If you look back, you know, in the early 2000s, a lot of the dental technology schools that were teaching removables, nobody wanted to take it. Um, everybody wanted to become a full contour waxer with the uh, aesthetic revolution, you know, and then and then obviously with the downward spiral that happened in 2008, a lot of those uh, denture technicians that were once out there to one and two man shops shut down. So now we were kind of left with the void of all those people who are retiring, but nobody being trained or taught to become a removable technician. And so we now we find ourselves in a position where we've got 10,000 people a day turning 65, a lot of removable cases coming through the door. A lot of them are implant based and you don't have technicians out there yeah. able to do those, that type of work. Yeah. Agreed. Does everybody think digital dentures is, is going to fix this problem? Nope. Not, not in the near future. I think it's cost prohibitive right now. Um, in, in, in a couple of fronts, one is, uh, the cost of getting into it. I mean, honestly, what, uh, some of the companies are charging just for an entry level stake in doing digital dentures is, is quite high. Um, the other part of it is, is that, uh, right now with a lot of it being milled, um, it will tie up a mill for a good part of the day for one particular restoration. Um, if you're going to print it, that, which is just in its infancy, uh, we just don't know what that future holds at the time. So I don't think digital is truly there yet or even close to being there yet. Yeah. And beyond even just like the cost and the, the tie up of your equipment, I mean, it's still the same issues that we have in the fixed digital. CAD is only as good as the person who's using it. And when you have a knowledge base that's quickly aging out and you don't have anyone repopulating it, you need someone really, really knowledgeable to know how to work the digital denture component of it because it's it's pretty clunky and it's not nearly as um, dynamic or um, as far along as it is in fixed. So what can we do to help people get better at removable? All right, that was part one of our roundtable. Join us next week, part two. We continue the conversation. 
like and share us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Also, we've got an email address with suggestions or comments, what you do like, what you don't like, what you want to hear next time at info at voicesfromthebench.com. And remember, all you CDTs out there, be podcast famous and email us any tips that you have, and we will feature it on our show. See you next week. Bye. If I do say so myself.